March 21st is Nowruz, the new year in Iran, and people across the diaspora are celebrating, from Zanzibar to Los Angeles. The holiday represents a fresh start. And for Priscilla Kongu-Huveda, that comes with a very specific hope that the Black Iranian community she's part of is seen. Take me from the French-Iranian diaspora to the British-Iranian diaspora to the American-Iranian diaspora in D.C., New York, Los Angeles. Take me back to Iran. What's the common denominator? An absence of understanding of what Blackness means within the Iranian reality. The total erasure of our histories and the taboo, the huge taboo around what will happen if we dare say the word siyah, which is Black. Many Black Iranians say they're treated as foreigners in their own country. Today, we're shining a spotlight on the community and those within it who are hoping to change that. I'm Malika Bilal, and this is The Take. So, I am sitting down with two members of the Collective for Black Iranians. Can you two introduce yourselves for us? Priscilla, why don't you start? Hi, I'm Priscilla Kunkuhovedo. I'm the founder of the Collective for Black Iranians. I'm a human rights jurist and a writer, as well as a filmmaker. And I'm joining you from Freetown in Sierra Leone, West Africa. I'm Pekka, Pekka Bahadori, and I'm currently living in Tehran. I'm the resident storyteller in the Collective for Black Iranians. I like to tell stories of people. I'm also a psychology student. I'm curious about the world around me. So, Priscilla, you are one of the founders of the Collective, and I know you're especially busy every year around Nowruz, given that it's one of the larger Iranian holidays. So for those who don't know, what is Nowruz all about? So Nowruz is the celebration of the new year for Iranians, but also certain Tanzanians and other nationalities who also celebrate the arrival of spring. In my community in Iran, we celebrate it with family, with friends. We eat together and we put together a sofre on our tables where we put seven items with the letter seen in Farsi as we welcome the new year. And Pega, what about in the south of Iran, where you were born? Do they have different traditions there for Nowruz? Yes, it's quite different from other parts of Iran. Because the southern parts of Iran are a place uh, where most trades take place and we have adapted from different cultures. So what we do during Nowruz is that we pay special attention to nature. We have special songs for every occasion as we go visit our gardens, visit our families. Many go fishing during this season. The thing that is mutual between us and the celebration in other parts of Iran is that we wear new clothes and we visit our families and it's like everything's brand new again. Mm -hmm. We face it as another opportunity for us to get to know each other and to enjoy the surroundings around us. That's lovely. So... There is one unfortunate tradition that has come to be associated with the holiday, and that is a fictional character who's often portrayed as a white singer in blackface. Where did this tradition come from? It's a character called Haji Firuz, 
that across the country is by many used to welcome the new year. And he does so by dressing in a red outfit, holding a tambourine, and by donning black face and singing songs such as My master, hold your head high, why don't you laugh? It's Noru's, it's one day a year, and then goes back, my master, hold your head high. And imitating in very slow, uh, lewd language, a, a fictional character that, you know, feels very insulting, demeaning and belittling. The origins are debated. You have scholars that say that it's related to Zoroastrian beliefs. Others say that it's soot from the fire during Chorshambe Suri, which is when we jump over the fire to welcome Nowruz. You know, there are different explanations as to the mythical origins of Hoji Firuz, one that has never been uh, pushed forward except from our resident historian, Dr. Bita Barulizadeh, who has done extensive research on it, is its linkage with uh, a history of blackface performance in Iran called Siobazi, mm. literal black play that is linked to a history of enslavement in Iran, an enslavement that was abolished in Iran only in 1929. Yeah, and this sort of belief exists up until today that black people are inferior and they call us bifarhang, which means uncultured. Mm. This belief has stayed in people's minds ever since times of slavery where people have viewed slaves as inferior. Oh, yes. So it's a correlation that is unmissable for Black folks, not just in Iran and in its diaspora, but across the world. Pega, do you remember when you first became aware of this tradition as a kid? How did you feel? Yeah, I remember the first time I was around seven years old and we had this homework to do during the holidays. And in that, there was a picture of this person holding the tambourine and dancing around. And that was the first time that I ever remember encountering with this figure because we don't have that figure in our cities. Pega's hometown of Minab in the south is home to a large portion of the Black community in Iran. She says the culture there has been mixed with African and South Asian cultures because of the long history of trade in the region. That's also why she didn't encounter Haji Firuz until she went to a private school with students from all over the country. I had a lot of questions growing up, whether that person was black or he did blackface or where's the origins for this tradition. But I felt the negative impact it had on my life because I grew up studying in private institutes and in those institutes there were people from other parts of Iran. So I could see that they viewed me as um, their source of entertainment and they were like, okay, you're little, you're cute and you should always be dancing, you should always be singing. So I think people um, need to uh, be aware of the origins of this figure and how it affects us people who are Black. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's interesting because on the one hand, Haji Furus is not alone. There is a character in the Netherlands called Zwarte Piet, who is very similar and it comes out a little bit before Christmas, dressed in blackface. It also sounds 
like your minstrel shows from the United States and the fact that this is a character that's meant to entertain you and has a tambourine and is supposed to dance and make people feel good about themselves. So the Collective for Black Iranians has made a point of campaigning against this tradition. How are you guys going about that? We're using space, you know, with the Collective for Black Iranians to say that Black is beautiful. Kind of hush with these nonsensical debates and what's the origin of Hoji films. And rather, let's focus on, well, how do we feel in this community as Black women, as Iranian women? We do this through stories from the past, telling the history of enslavement, telling the history of chosen migrations. I grew up in Iran and partly in other parts of the world where I had to constantly justify my existence to people and why I was the way I was. And the collective is putting a halt to that. So I would love to hear more about the collective in general, but to do that, I think I have the advantage of seeing both of you on my screens. And I can reiterate and attest that Black is beautiful. But for those who are listening to our podcast, tell us about how you identify and what makes you you. Pega, what's your backstory? Yeah, so it's a rather painful story to retell. But... I've had a problem with my identity ever since I was six years old. The first time I realized that people viewed me as different was the time that I went to a friend's house. Her older brother came out of her room and said, Did you bring this black girl to our home again? Didn't I tell you I didn't like her? And me? I was in shock. That was the first time and then in second grade, When I moved to a new school, the popular girl in the class came up to me and said, your lips look like Africans, we don't want to talk to you. And then, yeah, none of the students became friends with me during that year. People ignored me and this wasn't just in school. Outside of school, every day, I hear at least five or six people calling me, oh, black girl, oh, she's so black that I'm mistaking her with the shadows. Every day. Yes. I would wear a scarf to school and then people would be like, oh, which translates to, from afar, we only see a scarf walking. We cannot see the face in it because you're so dark that we can literally not see you. I knew myself um, and I viewed myself as Iranian because I was born in Iran, I was born to Iranian parents, but the way society treated me was as if I was a foreigner. And I was struggling, yeah, I was struggling to find my place. And just until the recent years, I've come to peace with myself and my identity. Wow. Yeah, and I'm like, I, I want to shout it and I want to scream it that we are a part of the Iranian community. Priscilla, what about you? Mashallah, Pega John. Um, Malika, it's uh, so moving to listen to Pega every time. I'm one generation older than Pega. Pega is one generation older than her brother. Her brother is a little bit older, like almost half a generation older than my children. And it keeps going like this. I was born to an Iranian mother and an African father, and I was raised in, you know, a white Iranian family in Tehran. So my foundational years into understanding who I am was in my country, in Iran, on Iranian soil and with the Persian language. 
And it was immediately experiences of exclusion, of rejection, of questioning. Every day is the word that I would like to put emphasis on. 21-year-old, I'm in a supermarket. This is London. An old Iranian woman comes to me and tells me, is this your boyfriend? He wasn't. He was a young man from Congo who was accompanying me on my grocery shopping. In Farsi, she says, don't you marry him? You've got to make yourself lighter. Hello? You're, you're very dark mm. in the supermarket. So she's warning you against marrying him because yes. then your kids will definitely be darker than is preferred. Yes, yes. So that was the Iranian diaspora in London. Fast forward 10 years later, I'm pregnant. I am now in Los Angeles. I am sitting at a Persian kebab space with my husband, who is even darker than the man who was at the supermarket. And two women behind say, hey, boy, look at how dark and black her husband is. And she's black too. What's going to happen to her unborn child? So, you know, I, I don't have to skip decades. I could just stay one day after another and I would have a catalog of experiences of anti-blackness within my community, inside and outside of Iran. So a large part of the collective is to raise awareness about how diverse Iran is. So towards that end, can you break down for me the many ethnicities in Iran? Sure, there are, there are many different ethnicities in Iran. You have, you know, the Kurds, the Turks, the Lord, um, and other groups, Persians being just one and probably dominant group. We don't have figures that we can rely on. But what we do know is that when you go from the north to the south, to the west, to the east, to center of Iran, you will see a different version of Iranian. It's more so the ignorance of our people as to who we are and how diverse we are, rather than us not being that diverse. You know, the Iranian is definitely very diverse. And just one more thing, that when in any part of the world you say the word Iranian, the first thing that comes to people's minds is someone with bright skin, with wavy black hair, which looks a lot like figures in paintings. But what I wish for is for people to also include us, blackness, in the whole image when they think about Iranians. Right, right. Well, one of the ways that you appear to be doing that through the collective that caught our eye, at least, is the Black is Beautiful campaign, Sia Zibas. Where did the idea from this series come from and how would you describe the series? You know, I think if you ask every single one of us where the idea comes from, we all will have a reason attached to it, you know, like our own private, intimate reason. For me, COZ bust comes from anger and frustration. And it comes from the very difficult task of looking into that anger and that frustration and saying, why is it that in my community, we're so obsessed with having thin and straight noses? Why is it that in my community, having straight hair is considered more appealing than having curly, frizzy hair? Why is it in my community that being lighter is considered being more attractive, more appealing, more intelligent, more all of this? And Sia Zibas came from the urgent need to saying that Sia is also beautiful, Black is also beautiful, along all the different shades that exist within Iranianness, not as a foreign entity. So we do this through films, through arts, literal illustrations, 
produced with artists from across the world, Black, Iranian, or not at all, who want to take up that space and say, Black is beautiful, Black is beautiful, Black is beautiful. It's a mantra. The more you repeat it, the more people will believe it, including ourselves. Pega, you have made a video as part of this series. What does this phrase and this part of the collective mean to you? And why did you do the video? For me, it comes from isolation. I felt isolated from other people in my region. And I felt that I need to change my looks in order to be seen and accepted by others. And that's exactly what I did as a 16-year-old teenager. I used to always trade in my hair and I used makeup to seem brighter and lighter. And then it worked and people started noticing me and they accepted me. And one day I was just tired of all this because I wanted people to accept me and see me beautiful as I am, not as they wanted me to be. And it's interesting because my grandmother used to tell me ever since I can remember, like I was four or five, she said, you're cute, but your lips are kind of, uh. And this came from my own side of the family. Now you can imagine what others have told me about my looks. Have you been able to have this conversation with your family? Well, my parents are thankfully really supportive. And every time um, this um, came up, my mother supported me and she said, you're my beautiful daughter. I love you as you are. And yeah, that's one thing I thank God for in my life. But she keeps telling me to don't think you're different. You're not different. And she treats this issue with ignoring it. She's like, yes, you should ignore them. You are beautiful. We know that you're beautiful. Don't talk about it because that would just make you more upset. But I'm like, mom, this is an issue that I've been dealing with ever since I was a kid. And now I finally have the confidence to talk about it so that this doesn't happen to other people, to others who don't have a supportive family, who feel left out from everywhere. So, Priscilla, how do you hope that younger generations of Iranians in the diaspora and in Iran will experience the world differently thanks to the work that you all at The Collective are doing? I think my hopes truly first goes for other Black Iranians, other Iranians of African descent, who never were able to see a reflection of themselves, hear the echo to their stories, whether they're stories of pain or celebration. My hope is for them to find echo in the work of The Collective. At this point, whether you're Black, whether you're of African descent or not, it's truly about having our stories being heard and for people in the community and outside to know that being Black is also being Iranian. Being Iranian can also mean being Black and being African can also mean being Iranian. And I could make these combinations all day long, so I'll stop. <laughs> <laughs> Pega, same question to you. What do you hope that younger generations like your brother take away from from what you are trying to do with the collective? Well, I hope that in the first place, the collective would act for them as a home, as it is for me, for them to feel safe in this community and feel accepted and loved. And I want other people um, to be aware that we exist and that we are, as other Iranians, a part of this culture. 
Priscilla and Pega, thank you so much for taking the time to go into some painful experiences from your past, but also to share why it's so necessary to do the work that you're doing. I appreciate it. Yeah, thank you a lot for having us. And that's The Take. If you'd like to check out the fascinating work done by the Collective for Black Iranians, we'll share links on our social media pages. We're at AJ the Take on Twitter and Instagram. We'd also like to thank historian Bita Bagulizadeh and journalist Behdad Mahichi for helping us better understand this story. This episode was produced by Priyanka Tilve with Nagin Oliai, Ruby Zaman, Alexandra Locke, Ney Alvarez, Amy Walters, and me, Malika Bilal. Alex Roldan is our sound designer. Aya Elmilek is our engagement producer. Tom Fenton is the Take Story Editor. And Stacey Samuel is executive producer. We'll be back. <laughs>